Hey, kids. Is it a good day to be in the house of the Lord or what? Um, I love that, um, uh, that the couple that spoke today shared like the little Brady Bunch story because I, I'm going to give you some story time today too, kids. <laughs> Complete with pictures, hopefully. Um, and so we're continuing, Andrew said, we're continuing our uh, series about family matters. I guess he figured that after 39 years, we haven't killed each other. So we would be a good candidate to share. Um, and, you know, because we're going to stick in our lanes today. Jay's, Jay's a teacher. I'm really a storyteller. Anyone that's hung around me very long knows I love to tell a good story. And so I'm going to tell you a couple of stories from our marriage. And um, I'm going to read this because you also know that I am a notorious overtalker. <laughs> and if I don't just read this story like a good storybook to you guys, we might be here until Jesus comes back. So <clears throat> I'm going to start with a couple of stories that illustrate uh, the love and grace of God in our marriage. You may have heard bits and pieces of these stories before, but I think they illustrate some important points. Revelation 12 says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Jesus is the lamb, and this is our testimony, our testifying of God's grace and God's goodness in our weakness in our marriage. Your part today is just to ask God what he wants you to take from our story. Uh, we are not all the same, but God is always the same, and this is part of our story. I grew up in a home filled with alcohol and drugs and abuse. My mom had untreated mental illness that led to a chaotic, unstable childhood for me. On top of that, I was sexually abused by a step-grandfather for many years, adding to my internal chaos and bent towards self-destruction. Because of all the trauma, I started using drugs and alcohol by the time I was nine years old to deal with the pain. Jay, on the other hand, grew up in a sitcom from the 50s. <laughs> Like Leave it to Beaver, complete with Warden June Cleaver for parents. A seemingly idyllic family with camping and dogs and, and uh, family dinners. He, he never saw his parents fight, ever, which actually became an issue for us in our marriage because he also had never seen his parents walk through conflict in a healthy conclusion. And his father died unexpectedly when he was 13 years old. So both of us came to the relationship with some baggage. He came with a nice little carry-on. I came with a complete set of deluxe set of Samsonite. <clears throat> Jay and I um, actually met at church. Go figure. Um, it was the early 80s, so oddly enough, my first encounter with my non-drug-using, non-addicted sweetie was overhearing him make a very 80s joke about McDonald's coffee spoons being used for cocaine, complete with sound effects. My addicted self was like, oh, he's kind of cute. <laughs> I, I went on to find out that he had nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> he, went on to, he went on to date my, a friend of mine for a while. That didn't really work out with them. But in the next uh, six months, we became best friends, talking on the phone every night, doing group things with friends, going to movies. At some point, he looked at me after a fun night of hanging out and said, so are we dating? And I looked back at him and said, are we? He promptly kissed me, and the rest is history. We dated for about a year. We talked about marriage, and he had privately asked me to marry him. And uh, our plan was that we would marry in the summer after graduation. We, we both loved God and his word and believed what it said about saving sex for marriage, but we failed miserably at that, and we ended up pregnant. We moved our wedding date up to March from the summer, and we were married in 1983. 
powdered blue tuxes, ruffles, and daisies abounded. Oh, hey, do we have pictures? Got some pictures going up anywhere? There you go. Look at that cute boy. He looked like John Boy from the Waltons. He was so adorable. He was just as innocent, too. <laughs> we had our son, TJ, in 1983 and our daughter, Casey, in 1985. While we were dating, I let Jay believe that I used to use drugs, but I didn't anymore. And I kept that a well-hid, shameful secret in the beginning of our marriage. But just a few years into our marriage, it was becoming evident that I was a very broken young woman who was filled with lots of buried trauma that had me fully addicted to drugs and alcohol and unable to conceal it anymore. This was an extremely difficult time in our marriage. While Jay was compassionate to my trauma and my issues, he had no skills to help him navigate conflict from his parents, and he had absolutely no idea how to help someone in active addiction, not being an addict himself and having no experience with anyone who was, which led him to going back and forth between enabling me and being full out frustrated and angry, thinking if he got angry enough, threw all my drugs and alcohol away, and told me how bad it all was, that somehow that would get me to stop. We all know how that went, don't we? Yeah. I eventually checked myself into inpatient treatment and started therapy. This started a series of times of sobriety and then relapse over and over and over again. I had the desire to be sober, but not enough healing to get the traction I needed to stay sober for good. Jay had finished his schooling to become a pastor and was pastoring a few country churches while trying to take care of our family when I could not because of my addictions and brokenness. It was about this time, yet another relapse, during yet another relapse of mine, that God in his grace gave my husband a revelation that would change everything for us. You see, God had already told Jay before we married that he wanted him to marry me and that it would be difficult, but it would be worth it. And so God posed him another question uh, regarding this conversation he'd had so many years with him. He said, what did I tell you to do when I told you to marry Dee Dee? My husband sheepishly replied to God, you told me to love her? It's like, did I tell you to do anything else or to try to fix her? No, I just told you to love her. That conversation gave my husband a total paradigm shift. And um, instead of yelling and reminding me how bad my addictions were when I bailed uh, to, to get me to quit, which unbeknownst to him had just made me feel worse about myself and use more to numb the pain, instead he really took to heart with what God had said to him. And with God's help, the next time I relapsed, he pulled me close to him and he told me he loved me. And he knew that God and I were going to conquer this. And he prayed for me and he said, don't give up. I felt my spirit start to come to life again and rise up. At the same time, he started privately reading through the Bible, starting at Genesis, and every time he found a verse on God's great love, he would write it on a sticky note and put it on our bathroom mirror without saying a word. I would wake up, and I would find these love verses staring back at my shame-filled face every morning. And um, the crazy thing was that neither of us said a word about it. He didn't talk about why he was doing it, and I didn't say a word about how it was affecting me. A couple of years down the road, when I had begun to get some healing in my life, we finally talked about it. He assumed that I was angrily throwing them away because they would disappear. But he continued because God had given him a mandate. What I didn't have the words to tell him up to this point was that I had read every single one of those verses of God's love 
and they had begun to pierce my heart and break my shame. Many mornings I stood in front of those verses and I wept and I broke and I healed. I hadn't thrown those sticky notes away. In fact, I had tucked every single one into my dresser drawer and into my heart forever. By just listening to God and caring and loving me with God's love instead of his failing human love, he had unwittingly been walking out Ephesians 5.26 that talks about washing your wife with the water of the word to make her pure. I think it needs noted here that he kept doing this for a couple of years because God told him to, even though there was no evidence that it was doing anything. You know, he did not know if God was using it to heal our marriage or heal us. Over time, with God's word, love, and my husband's selfless love, I began to get healing and freedom. And God's word had finally sprouted in my heart so that I actually began to believe his love and forgiveness was for me. My husband's godly love had been the bridge to me understanding my father's love for me. Because I reasoned in my head, if he's just a man and he can love me and forgive me, how much more does my heavenly father love me? I finally began to grow and to walk in my gifts that had been buried under all my sins and issues for all those years. Fast forward to raising kids, pastoring together, where sometimes it was amazing and sometimes it was soul crushing. (laughs) Having five grandkids and going through life's mountains and valleys and sometimes with great faith and sometimes barely hanging on to Jesus and each other, but making it through. All the way up to January 31st where we ended up in the emergency room where my husband had a major medical event and almost died. Most of you know the facts, but for those of you who don't, Jay was extremely ill and throwing up things no one wants me to describe this morning. He ended up in the emergency surgery with a perforation in his colon that had filled his body with infection that caused a kidney injury, a heart incident, and just when we thought he was out of the woods, his surgery failed, and he was rushed back into surgery for another emergency surgery to put his insides back where they belong. He spent 15 days in the hospital and many months of healing with a few more surgeries to go. I would never choose for him to go, or either one of us, to have to go through what we did. But God, in his grace, allowed me to begin to give back the love and the care that my husband had so generously given to me in my years of addiction. Now it was my chance to pour the love and the word of God back into my husband during his dark night of the soul. I read Job, it seemed appropriate, <laughs> for what we were going through. And God gave me Job 33:25 through 28 to pray over him. Let their flesh be renewed like a child's. Let them be restored as in the days of their youth. Then that person can pray to God and find favor with him. They will see God's face and shout for joy. He will restore them to full well-being. And they will go to others and say, I've sinned, I've perverted what is right. But I did not get what I deserved. God has delivered me from going down to the pit, and I shall live to enjoy the light of life. I started to put his name in that verse and so many other healing scriptures and would speak them over him as he slept or was out of it with pain as I held his hand and I prayed for him. Just a side note, if you need healing or you have a friend who's going through healing, find yourself five verses and put your name or put their name in it and begin to declare those verses over them every day, okay? Because God's word is powerful, and it, co- it does what it set out to accomplish. And now you see the results today. 
my husband, handsome husband is still alive and well and working and serving God and attempting to do things around my house that still freak my, his wife out. Like, no, put that down. No, you're not mowing the yard. Get off the hill. Yeah, all kinds of things. We serve a miracle-working God who delivered me from drugs and alcohol and healed my husband from deadly sickness. Can I get an amen? Amen. My point in sharing these stories is not to say, oh, look how godly we are and how we handled all these things and how awesome he blessed us. Oh, no. (laughs) I gave the condensed version so we can get out for lunch. (laughs) But I assure you, we both made lots of mistakes and had weak faith at times. There was yelling and swearing, a lot of swearing, mostly me, and crying and not doing it perfect. Did I mention there was swearing? (laughs) What we did accidentally do right was continuing to cry out to God for his help in our marriage and our circumstances. And by the grace and strength of God, we were able to hang on to that mustard seed of faith in God, which gave us the strength to choose love and persevere in times when we didn't feel like it. People will wrongly tell you that marriage is 50-50. And while it's supposed to be an equal endeavor where you use each other's weaknesses and strengths to complement each other, I'm here to tell you that marriage has to be 100-100. Now, don't freak out, because that doesn't mean you're always going to accomplish your 100%. Definitely not. But it does mean that if you are striving toward giving your all towards God and your spouse, God will come in and fill in all your gaps and weaknesses. During my active addiction and healing from trauma, I was trying with all my might to be a good wife and a good mom, but I was so broken and needed so much healing that there were times I was giving 5% and Jay was giving 95% with God's help. During Jay's medical crisis, he could only give 5%, and Jesus and I were giving 95%, and that's how it goes in marriage. You lean on each other's strengths with God, and you help cover up your partner's weaknesses. In closing my time out, I just want to say, if your marriage isn't perfect, good news. (laughs) No one's is. If you've blown it in marriage or someone else did for you, there is no condemnation for you, only forgiveness and grace and a chance to start brand new in your marriage today or a chance to do it different in a future relationship if you aren't married now. Because I promise you, in between the beautiful God victories in our marriage are a whole lot of foolishness and failures. Did I mention there was swearing? (laughs) When people ask me, what is the secret to a 39-year marriage, my answer is, number one, a whole lot of Jesus and his word. Without him, I don't believe it's possible because even the best God-graced marriages are difficult. Every marriage is different. The key is listening to God's word and God's heart specifically for your marriage. Number two, it takes two good forgivers. Being willing to forgive your spouse and yourself and not bring it up in the next fight. And now the story time is almost over, kids. My sweetie will be up next to do a short biblical teaching on marriage. And just like I'm tagging him in this morning um, after I'm done speaking, I've just yelled figuratively, figuratively in our marriage this last couple of weeks. Tag, you're it already. Because while my husband is all healed up well and doing good physically and spiritually, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm, I haven't done so well lately. Um, with all the business and paperwork and lawyers and time and care I've had to put into taking care of my mom's needs lately, I've been given about 20% 
sometimes 40 on a good day, watching my mom both suffer and be aggressive in her mental illness and dementia has dug up old fears and old wounds that need healed in me. And I've been a little bit of a wreck while simultaneously clinging tight to Jesus. Just because you have faith in God doesn't mean life doesn't hurt. And in the middle of my pain and at times freaking out, my sweet husband hasn't yelled at me or even just ignored me. Instead, he calmly wraps his arms around me and tells me he loves me. He prays for me right in the moment and asks if he can help or make it better. Last Thursday night, I went to Sober Soldiers meeting, even though I really didn't have time to do that. But I knew I needed a meeting. And what a great meeting it was. So many testimonies of how God is the only way that we can do this thing. When I came home, my husband had mopped the floors, done the dishes, and started supper. Peace and love began to wash over me like, I can make it another day. You know, I've got help. I'm not alone. And here's the revelation I'll leave you guys with. When you strive to love your husband or your wife the way God says to and with his strength and his love helping you do it, not only does your spouse get your love, they get God's. Because when I walked into the house and saw how my husband had seen my needs and tried to help without me asking him, sacrificially, I might add, after a full day of work, I not only felt loved and cared for by him, but I felt loved and cared for by my Heavenly Father because I knew that's where that kind of love comes from. Thank you, baby. Thank you, Papa. Peg, you're it. What do we got? About maybe three minutes. Um, You guys are fortunate. I should have been at work at 10 o'clock. I don't have to go into one, but that means I won't be keeping you here that long, okay? Um, You know, that wasn't fair, by the way. You got me crying before I had to come up here. Um, When, in my adult life, I've spent a lot of, I've been in a lot of different jobs. Everything from a pharmacist intern to making made right sandwiches, from uh, being a psychiatric technician to a medical underwriter, a substitute teacher to uh, a, a blackjack dealer, a <laughs> medical underwriter, a, uh, I, a youth pastor, and a senior pastor. I think I'm the last original jack of all trades. I like to think I mastered at least a couple of those along the way. Um, But, you know, through all those different jobs, one of the things I learned is that one of the worst jobs I ever had in my life was a position called a marketing coordinator. I had been living in West Des Moines and working in Omaha and driving back and forth every day. And this position for this marketing coordinator came up in Des Moines. And I decided I got to apply for it. I don't know what the job is, but I I can't keep driving back and forth. That'll make an old man out of you fast. I'm only 33, but it's been 33 hard years. Oh, wait. That doesn't add up to being married 39. Anyway. Um, But I applied for this job, and it had 
two things going for it. One, it was in Des Moines, and the other was I knew a few people that worked there. And I went in for the interview, and the woman who would be my boss, uh, I asked her, what, what does this job really entail? And she started listing some things, and I, I, red flag went up, and I said, you know, this sounds like it's very clerical, and clerical's really not my strong suit. And she said, well, it, it sounds that way maybe, but that's really not it. It's a very professional job. That should have been my second red flag because clerical can be very professional. You know, an executive secretary takes very good skills to do that kind of job. I let it go, which was a huge mistake. I, I got that job, and when I started it, they didn't really give anybody there to train me. This one woman came and helped me the first couple days, but she'd never done the job herself. She didn't really know what she was training me for. She said, well, you're going to need to probably download and copy these various files. There's going to be a few hundred pages to each one. You're going to need about eight copies of those, each one of those. And you'll need to separate them out into groups and organize them. And they will then, they'll let you know what you need to do with those. Three months later, those papers were still laying on my desk. I finally threw them away because I realized they didn't need any of this stuff. It took me over two years to really begin to figure out what my job was. And in that time, I know they were a little frustrated with me because I wasn't doing the job they needed. And I was horribly frustrated because I didn't really know what I was doing. And I believe that's one of the biggest problems in most marriages. People go into marriage and, what does it mean to be a husband? What does it mean to be a father, a, 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 a wife? What, what is a husband and a wife? Where we learn usually from what those two jobs are, and let's face it, they're jobs, you know, we're filling a position there, is we've learned it from maybe our parents who we're being honest, probably didn't do it right themselves and made a lot of mistakes along the way. But when we come into the wedding and we go, well, my dad did this. And she said, well, my dad did this. And, you know, and we have immediate conflict arising because people don't know what, what's expected of them. And when you don't know what's expected of you, it creates huge frustration. The both good news and the sad thing is the job descriptions are presented to us if we just knew that they were there and we could read them. God doesn't just throw us into things. You realize marriage is not something that was developed by the government. <laughs> Thank goodness. It's not even something that was designed by God, uh, man. It was designed by God. God is the first one to create marriage. And he put Adam and Eve in that role as the first husband and the first wife. And so in his word, he gives us the blueprint for a marriage. And boy, it's too bad everybody doesn't get this handed to them before they get married. And that's in Ephesians chapter 5. 
starting at verse 21 that says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, you realize a lot of people don't understand what, even what that word submit means. They think submit means that you become a doormat, that you're not allowed to have your own opinions. You just do what the other person says, and that's it. And, I mean, we could, I've seen that take place in that kind of way. Uh, get four Christians, put them in a car, and tell them to go out to dinner someplace. Where do you want to go? Oh, I don't care. Wherever you want to go. Oh, well, no, you, you go ahead and choose. Oh, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm good with whatever you decide. And they spend two hours driving around trying to figure out where to eat. It's because they're trying to submit to one another. But that's not what submitting is. Submitting, you're allowed to have your own wants, needs, and desires. You're allowed to express those. You simply seek to defer them to the wants, needs, and desires of, of the other person. And in a way, it's kind of like what we've been studying in the book of Matthew on Wednesday night. How many times have we heard Christ say in Matthew over and over and over again, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That's saying, that's saying the same thing. Don't try to put yourself first. Try to put the other person first. And if in our marriages, if we each sought to outserve the other one, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be an incredible marriage? Dee uh, Dee has already told you guys we didn't do it right. You know, we, we, we made a lot of mistakes. Um, but if we go on in Matthew chapter 5, at verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Boy, in our society today, a lot of people have troubles with that, and that's because they don't do it right and they don't really understand. That doesn't mean that, wives, you can't let your husband know what your wants, needs, and desires are. It, it means, though, that when it comes down to it, it is the husband's job to make the final decision. I find it just ridiculous that there are organizations out there that will have a woman presiding officer and a man presiding officer because we all know that ultimately one person has to make a decision. Now, ladies, if it bothers you to think that your husband's going to be the one responsible for that final decision, realize this. If he's not listening to God and he's doing what he wants, when the lightning bolt comes down, it goes over your head and hits him. Okay? <laughs> he's the one with his head on the line on this one. Okay? So, you know, actually, and... I've had people before j trying to make a joke and say, oh, so is Didi a submissive wife? I'm here. Yeah, that, I know. I'm here to tell you. Yes. Yes, she is. Very much so. When I was working in Omaha, every Christian person we knew said, don't you think God's maybe telling you you guys should move to Omaha? 
And Dee Dee said to me one day, I don't really want to move to Omaha. Okay, she expressed her feelings, right? And she said, but if you feel God's telling us to do that, I'll move to Omaha. And I said, oh, no, he's not telling us to do that. <laughs> no, we, we're not supposed to move to Omaha. A month later, the company was up for sale. And about four or five months after that, I was working in Des Moines. God wasn't telling us to move to Omaha, okay? But Dee Dee was willing to submit. She didn't really want to move to Omaha, but she was willing to express what her desire was, and she deferred to my decision on it because she mistakenly feels that I'm a man of God who listens to everything God says. Um, <laughs> If we go on in this passage, it gets into the husband's role. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, you might say, well, wife has to submit to her husband, but the husband just has to love his wife? Well, that doesn't seem right. Uh, let's take a look at what it means to love. You know, God gave us a very clear definition of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 4. Keep this in mind. This is the husband's job. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Guys, we got a big job there. That's our job with our wife. Some versions, I like the wording of, says, love does not insist on its own way. What that passage is saying is, husbands, you're to love your wife, which means you should always be taking into account what her wants, needs, desires are. And you should be trying to put those above your wants, needs, and desires. You need to be looking at what your wife is needing and doing everything in your power to do it. Since the day we got married, I'm an old-fashioned guy, okay? I was, I was born in the 50s. I know, you can't get replacement parts anymore, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm old-fashioned. When the day we got married, I told Dee Dee, because in my view, it's a man's job to provide for his family. I told Dee Dee, I said, if you want to work, that's fine, but you don't have to work. It's my job to provide for the family. There have been times when she did work. She works now. There have been times when she didn't. 
it was her choice. Because I was putting her needs first. That means at times we've had to do without some things. There have been difficult times financially. But it was always her choice. And that's a husband's job. To meet the needs of his wife. So, guys, remember, you got a tough job there. And I would challenge every husband here, are you living up to that now? Are you, are you doing that? Or are you coming home from work, sitting down in the recliner in front of the TV, popping open a cold one of Coke, and, <laughs> and letting your wife, who also went to work all day, fix your supper and do the dishes and do the laundry and vacuum the floor and are you doing your fair share? Because if you love her, as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, you should be seeking to, to do some of those things yourself. And if she can't do it, you need to be doing all of those things yourself. We have a tough job. We have a very tough job, guys. And I hope every husband here is seeking to live up to it. When we go back to Ephesians 5, at verse 31, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I took that to heart. When we went through some of those difficult times she described, I knew that Satan was doing everything he could to try to destroy our marriage because that's what Satan does. He seeks to kill and destroy and I yelled at him. And I said, you will not hurt my wife. We are one flesh. You cannot come against her without coming against me. And you have no right to trespass in my life. I will fight you to the gates of hell and beyond, but you will not take my wife. I won. <laughs> this passage ends with verse 33 and says, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. If you guys would, in your, I don't know, if some of you may be engaged, looking at getting married, hang on to this blueprint for marriage. If you're in a marriage right now, study it. This is your job description. This is where you're supposed to be. And if you haven't been doing it, seek to implement that in your life. If you're divorced, you, you know, what's in the past is in the past. That's been washed away. The slate's cleaned by Jesus. Don't worry about that. Move, it, move forward. Go on with your life now. And if you get in another relationship, now you know how to do it right. Also, one important thing. Wives, you never have the right to say to your husband, you're not doing it the way God's word says. 
And husbands, you never have a right to say to your wife, you're not doing it the way God's word says. The only one that's allowed to ever point that out to them is Jesus Christ. Okay? With that, Dee Dee, would you want to come up and pray together? Because I got to get to work. <laughs> Good job, baby. Yeah. Let's pray. Go ahead. Lord, um, God, I just thank you that, you know, there are things in Scripture that are really clear, and I thank you for the blueprint of marriage, Lord that you've given us in your word. And God, I pray right now for every marriage in this place and everyone that will be married, Lord, that right now you would just um, root this word deep into their hearts, Lord. And, 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 and the thing is, we can't do any of the things you ask us to do without your power and your strength. Yeah. And so, God, would you just empower people in their marriages and their relationships, Lord, to walk out your blueprint for marriage. And God, would you just bring healing? Where there's marriages in this place that are struggling, would you come in and bring healing? Healing, healing, and healing. Would you help, help them to turn around and, and try a different thing than they've ever tried before and try what God's word says and try to put their spouses, their name into that 1 Corinthians passage, Lord, and, and, and be that with your strength and with your power. And God, I just thank you for who you are and pray that you would be with us this week and that your word will make an impact in all the marriages and relationships in this place. And that that will carry on to us being an impact. As we're walking in godly marriages, that other people will say, I want what they have. And we can testify of your goodness and your greatness. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Andrew, did you have anything else? Then you're dismissed. Yeah. <laughs>